0: Snack production. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. We're talking today about a topic that I love, only because I've read a lot about it, and you're probably much more versed than me, Keith, but it's about China's social problems, which is stemming from, well, there's quite a few, let's be honest, yeah. the economic powerhouse. However... Um, a lot of social issues, and one of the big key drivers of this is the fact that they've got one child each, each family. So you've got these narcissists growing up where you've got these pandying parents who yeah. wrap, wrap them in cotton wool and absolutely no life
1: experience. They just don't know what's going on in the world. Exactly. So, um, you know, quite often when we talk about China, we talk about it either in economic terms, as as it is the powerhouse, or in military terms, or whether or not it's going to be a threat to the United States' role in the world. But there is a a third dimension that we don't cover enough in the mainstream media, which is the real social problems that are going on within the country. Now, you've identified one, which is the uh, demographic brutality that the Chinese had. So Chairman Mao decided to restrict parents to having only one child. Parents often decided they would prefer a boy. So if a girl were born, they killed her. The girl wasn't registered. They just dropped her down the village well and is as though she never existed. In recent years, the Chinese have eased up on that now. So they've said, okay, if you have a girl first time round, you can have another go. See if you can do better next time around. But even so, we now have 120 women for every 100 men in China. Um, so that shows this imbalance that exists at the moment. So yes, one of the aspects of the one-child policy has been the gender imbalance. Also, of course, is the fact that there's speculation that China may grow old before it grows rich. In other words, that you've not got enough young Chinese coming through. So what you do have are these little emperors, you know, these children who have been spoiled, particularly those born since 1980, so since all the economic reform got underway. So if you look back at Chinese history... You get the Chinese Revolution in 1949, which is why the year 2049 is so important because President Xi is saying in 2049, the 100th anniversary of the Chinese Revolution, China will be number one on whatever issue, we'll be number one. So 2049 is a key year for a number of things relating to China. So you get the Chinese Revolution, 1949, led by Mao Zedong, communist leader. He realised that one of the problems in China was a huge number of people who were living on quite a comparatively small amount of land, particularly arable land. Um, And so he then introduced this one-child policy, um, not intending to discriminate against girls, but in fact ended up discriminating because the Chinese have a mindset that you need to have a boy to continue the family dynasty. Even if you're just a very humble peasant family, you need to have a, a boy. Um, even today in modern China, the parents of the groom are expected to provide an apartment for the married couple. And what is interesting is that if you look at the purchase of automobiles, in the US market each year, United States market, only 10% go to people who've never owned a car before. In China, it's the reverse. 90% of people each year who buy a car, have never owned a car before. So it's a whole new market, immense car market in China. One of the reasons why Chinese older people buy a car is to give it to their son, who will therefore be more attractive to women whom he's dating. So the car is an investment in their old age pension because the girl whom he marries, the woman whom he marries will take care of them in old age.
0: Oh, gosh, he's joking.
1: No, this is the way <laughs> it's all done. Wow. So that, that's the way the game is played. So you have, therefore, the parents of the groom supplying the apartment. They've already supplied a car in order to find the attractive woman because they're reviewing his taste in women as well mm. because the woman he selects will be the woman who will look after them in old age fascinating stuff. And build on top of that, of course, is this notion of filial devotion. In other words, children being devoted to their parents. And that's the Confucian tradition, which you see in China, and you also see um, in, in Korea. In fact, Korea has an unbroken record on this. You know, the Chinese broke it under Chairman Mao, with some of the reforms that the, in terms of Confucianism, mm. although Confucian is now coming back into fashion in China. In in South Korea, it never left. So it's really quite intriguing. So children um, are obliged, therefore, to respect their parents. Even as adults, you might see them kneeling down when they're greeting parents, returning to their villages. So it's really very interesting. I remember on one trip when I was on Taiwan, um, we had landed... And the person taking me to my hotel diverted to a cemetery to show me where the parents were born with a nice view out over the ocean. Oh, God.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I bet a lot of Western parents would wish that their children would take a leaf out of this book.
1: Absolutely. In <laughs> Singapore and China, they're looking at how they can force these young, rich children into looking after the parents. Now, uh, in Singapore, they're looking at giving the parents the opportunity to sue the children if they don't take care of them in old age. In China, there is actually a law, Confucian obviously, saying you must take care of your parents or you will go to jail. Now, it's not been implemented for a while, but, it, but it's very much that Confucian thinking Either you're going to do it through the civil courts or the criminal courts, one way or another, those kids are going to look after you in old age.
0: So it's the same issue that's happening a lot of... well, around the world with China, it's an ageing population. Yep. But do they have that same social pressures that we have in that we have, obviously, the aged pension and there's going to be this enormous amount of people that are going to be on it in the next couple of decades? Is it? Do they have a pension no, sort of No, not as we
1: would know it. That's why you've got to buy a car for your son so he will attract the right type of woman. That woman is your pension and that car is a contribution to that pension. Right.
0: So are we seeing um, a change in in wealth in China? Because as we know, we've heard, we were talking a lot about economic growth, but you've seen that kind of stagnate for a little while, haven't
1: we? Oh, look, um, got to get it in perspective. You know, what is happening is that the Chinese economy is is being changed from a capital-intensive, investment-led, export-oriented economy to the Chinese government saying to their own people, we want to create our own domestic economy and not be so reliant upon selling cheap goods to foreigners or expensive goods to foreigners. We want you to buy them. You see the same sort of thing in Singapore. A classic example is buying clothes in Singapore. So my first trip to Singapore was 1973. And, it, and for a, uh, to go into a tailor shop for men, all the sizes were large European. Europeans are obviously bulkier than uh, the local Singaporeans. (laughs) Now when you go to Singapore, the suit sizes are also suitable for Singaporean men. In other words, Singapore has been able to create its own internal market and that's what China is aiming to do. But, of course, you've got a very affluent coastal strip where that's certainly taking place. And then you you have the the middle of the country. If you can imagine the strip going down north to south.
0: In China? In China, yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: And then you have what's called the far west. So that includes Xinjiang, uh, where you have got problems with the Uyghurs, which needs to be a separate program in its own right, and, of course, Tibet. So it's taking a while for the wealth to flow to the west, starting in the big cities like Shanghai or Beijing. What about the regional areas in China? Well, there's certainly some of the regional cities are growing as well. But again, it's closer to the east than to the western part of the country. But they, yes, they've certainly got growth. So you've got a country which is a lot richer, just to sort of summarise really China's economic development. So from 1949, you get the Communist Revolution. And the revolution has had some disasters. Um, uh, Chairman Mao at one point wanted to create the Great Leap Forward which is whereby people just melting their own pots and pans to create metal ingots, which were totally useless. So a lot of people died then. It's very interesting to look at debates uh, that goes on between historians as to who was the greatest mass murderer of the 20th century. Obviously, Hitler is on the list, but also Stalin and also Chairman Mao, millions of people who perished under that great leap forward. So that's one. Um, then that thing settled down and then a decade or so later he came up with the idea of a cultural revolution let a thousand flowers bloom and again that led to chaos Um, and and one of the victims of the chaos were the parents of the current president, she, who who got treated abominably. So you had people uh, not necessarily being massacred in the streets but certainly being locked up for years at a time because they were rich landowners and whatever. So... Then Chairman Mao dies in 1976. You have three years of chaos, and then Deng Xiaoping becomes the the main leader. And he had um, been on a visit to Singapore as a young fellow when he was leaving China to study overseas. This was well before the Communist Revolution. And he saw how Singapore operated. And so he said, right, now I'm in control of China. We're going to create a new Singapore here in mainland China. I was doing a roadshow for Lee Kuan Yew, a former leader of, of Singapore. And in my introduction, I said that this is a man who designed two countries' economies, Singapore and China's. So you get, therefore, this growth of a bit of capitalism within China. People can now own their own property, like uh, buying apartments, houses, if they've got the money. Um, and so you've, you've got from, say, 1980, children born after 1980, have only ever known wealth and they've been doing very well with all of that wealth. So they are different from their parents. So the parents, um, say baby boomers, would have lived through the cultural revolution, might even have been at the tail end of the Great Leap Forward. So they would have known about all of the suffering that went on and so they um, have, have got this history of suffering, whereas the children have only ever known wealth. They've only known a country which is booming and uh, so much idolised by the rest of the world.
0: This is Global Truths with Dr Keith Suter. We're talking about uh, China today and their social issues and a lot of them are stemming from this, well, it's not a notion, it, it's a reality. The fact that this one-child policy has been in play now for a couple of decades, and the problem with having one child is that quite often they, well, in China's case, they're becoming little narcissists. And it's its actually quite a feature um, of the media, Keith, over there. It's a topic of conversation in China that China's having with itself, That's isn't it, about their youth. What are some of the characteristics of these of these Children.
1: Well, the complaint is that we have a generation gap. So you've got those parents and others who were born before 1980 who had struggled, and you've got the children born after 1980 who've only ever known increasing wealth in China. So you actually have two different populations within the same country. And what is interesting is is that they actually look at the world differently. And so the complaints from the older people is that these youngsters don't know what suffering is. Remember, if you're Chinese, you have suffered. President Xi comes into that category. You know, he had a pretty rough early life because of the punishment meted out to his parents. So you've then got, in fact, um, was it Deng Xiaoping or one other who had a son who was thrown out of the window during the Cultural Revolution and broke his back. So um, for older people, they have lived through all this struggle induced by Chairman Mao who nonetheless is admired because he managed to bring the country together. This is part of the problem for the Chinese. How do you therefore regard Chairman Mao? His body is still on display if you're in Tiananmen Square. It's a place of reverence. Uh, and and so on the one hand, Chairman Mao clearly has been very brutal. He killed so many millions of his own people, held the country back because of his own method of communist thinking and yet at the same time did achieve the Communist Revolution, did fight against the Japanese, then managed to beat the Nationalist Chinese who then fled to Taiwan and then managed to create one united society. And so the Chinese, older Chinese, are somewhat divided in their own attitude towards how they regard him. So they have their own life experiences. It's already a little bit, a little like an older Australian trying to talk to a younger Australian. They have different life experiences. But in China it is much more pronounced because they, they have so many different traditions running through their head at the same time if they're an older, older Chinese person. So they would remember that the turmoil perhaps of the, of the Cultural Revolution, perhaps almost of the Great Leap Forward depending on their age, now they're being told to get rich is glorious this this is denzi alping doesn't matter what color the cat is providing it catches mice so get away from all this communist ideology we focus on getting rich so the so the parents and grandparents have, have lived through the sort of these confused narratives if you like Whereas the children are only used to one narrative, which is get rich quick,
0: and they have zero life experience of being cotton wooled. their hell lies because, in case you know, because there's only one of them, only one of them can't yeah. have anything happen to them. That's, That's right. just a recipe for disaster in terms of bringing up. Like I think most parents would say to you, that like, gosh, you take an only child and you completely,
1: yeah.
0: Um, Yeah, wrap them in cotton, exactly, like all that sort of stuff, and completely indulge them. You can have a little rotten kid on your hands.
1: Yeah. And we've got a whole country of them. And so you've got people who are complaining that they're fat, they're spending too much money on fast food, soft drinks, et cetera, they're overweight. Um, As I say, the the other problem is that China may grow old before it grows rich because you're going to be running out of workers. Now, the Chinese might have to do what the Japanese are doing, which is do far more automation. See, what the, Ch- the Chinese have been able to call on a vast pool of cheap labour. In other words, the people in, in the middle of the country and the West, perhaps not so much Uyghurs or Tibetans but others, you bring them into these areas for economic development. They have provided the cheap labour. So you've got low labour costs um, and so you, you've been able to exploit that cheap labour, but they're going to be running out of that cheap labour. Now, the Japanese have got a similar problem because they also have got zero population growth and they're trying to solve that problem through automation. So you'll end up going to a hospital and being carried around by a robot rather than being helped with a nurse. That's the Japanese response. Uh, the Chinese response will be, obviously, you can bring in workers from North Korea about a million, I think, from North Korea currently working in China, doing very cheap work, which is good news for the North Korean government because it's the North Korean government that gets the money for the migrating labour. Um, so the Chinese might be able to keep their factories going on cheap labour, but eventually they're going to be running into problems unless they can fully automate. And, and, and of course, remember, the, the going back to the tribal memory of China, The big fear is instability. When you are unstable, you then get people coming in to exploit your vulnerability. So, as we need to look at a little later, China used to be an economic superpower. And then it went through a few centuries of turmoil. And in that time, Western countries, which were on the rise, exploited that turmoil And so we're able then, the British got Hong Kong, the Portuguese got Macau, et cetera. The the Russians have got real estate, which they still haven't haven't handed back to the Chinese. So what is interesting is that the Chinese are haunted by this fear of instability, which means that they are more willing to accept social controls in a way that Australians might well want to rebel. Although I think that we also are now becoming a much more of a police state. Mm. The Chinese are blatantly a police state. They make no excuses for it and the Chinese say, well, we don't want to have instability in this country. We are willing to be controlled by the state because the alternative is to have economic chaos. But the problem for the Chinese is that if they're having problems with younger people and running out of labour and people who perhaps don't have the same work ethic as their parents and grandparents, China has got all sorts of social problems. So, yes, China, but at the moment is doing well economically. Yes, it is a major military problem, but it also may have some problems right at home with the social ones.
0: Global Truths was presented by Dr. Keith Souter and me, Kate Mack. Produced by Live Proud. Audio production by Darcy Thompson.
1: Listener.